and a guy who's uh, covering it all, doing a fantastic job with CBS, the former coach at Villanova, our good friend Steve Lapis. Steve, what's going on, my man? Everything's great. How about you? Oh, fantastic, man. I uh, love this time of year. Okay, so uh, while I'm at the games, you're going to be doing studio work uh, uh, this weekend, right, with CBS? Correct. All right. CBS Sports Network Studio. Can hardly wait for that, my friend. Okay, we'll get a chance to to catch you there. But last weekend, Steve, actually the last four, uh, those four days from you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, you were in Columbus. Uh, fantastic setting there, and you called the biggest upset ever. I'm calling in in tournament history with Fairleigh Dickinson defeating Purdue. Uh, let's start with that, my friend. And while you're calling that game. Tell me what's going through your mind, what you're thinking, and even go back to, okay, before that game, you're thinking, okay, here we go. We got a one versus 16. We know that we've seen, you know, an upset before. It's very rare going back to 2018 with Maryland, Baltimore County, and, and Virginia, but this was even a longer shot, uh, Steve, as you know, with Fairleigh Dickinson winning four games last year, shouldn't even be in the tournament, didn't even, you know, win the conference tournament. Merrimack did. They get invited. And they're going up against 7-4 Zach Eady and company. So let's start from there and then kind of tell us what you saw as you're broadcasting the game in the next two hours. Well, first of all, it, it really was not a, a 1-16 game. It was a 1-17 game. Right. Because as you True. said, fairly Dickens, it shouldn't have even been in the tournament. So they were like a 17 seed. Yeah. So let's start there. Um, and the truth is, before the game, you know, I'm figuring, you know, I told my partner, I mean, obviously I said it tongue-in-cheek, I said, Zach, he's going to score 100. <laughs> and uh, I, I really thought he was going to score like a ton. I mean, here's a guy who had 34 against Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana. And uh, so, you know, you figure he's, he's playing against a team's biggest guy is 6'7", and uh, they're the smallest team in the country, and you think he's just going to dominate. But the game starts, and you really start to see – and the truth is, Philly Dickinson was 10 and 6 in the NEC this year, which was considered the number, there's 32 leagues. They were the 32nd league in the country. And they were 10 and 6 in that league. If they'd have played as hard, and they play hard, don't get me wrong. If they had played like that in every game, they wouldn't have lost a game in the NEC. That's what I'm looking at. I'm saying, how these guys lose six games in their league and they're out here doing this? That just, you know, you saw in the first two minutes of the game, they tried to throw the ball to Zach Eady. Because one thing about Matt Painter, he threw the ball to Zach Eady every possession in the half court this year. Everyone. And I don't blame him. He had that, that much of a weapon. Why not throw it to him every and play through him like they did? Well, they couldn't get it. They had trouble getting him the ball for two reasons. They, Fairly Dickinson was smart. They were fronting him. They were backing him. And they would, play, they would pick a guy on Purdue and not guard him. And just have a guy in front of Beattie and a guy behind him. And every time they tried to throw him the ball, Two things happened. One, the pass was being really pressured by those guards. And two, these other two guys that were around 80 were not letting him make easy catches. So you could tell from the beginning they were out of sorts. You just kind of figured as the game is going on that they're going to get, they're going to settle down and understand what's going on and be able to overcome it because of their talent. But they just never, ever got comfortable. Their guards couldn't get comfortable passing the ball. No one in, with five minutes to go wanted to take a shot. Every, their team was really shook because, and I said this, with seven minutes to go in the game, Purdue was, goes on a run and is up six. And I said on the air, I said, they better get rid of these guys now because if they don't, they're going to have a problem. And sure enough, next possession, 
The kid, Dimitri Roberts from FDU, gets an and one. The six becomes three. And all of a sudden, it's game on. So I, what I thought before the game, and I'll tell you a funny story, was uh, our producer of, our, of the game wanted to show the clip from UMBC Virginia towards the end of the first half. And both me and Andrew Catalan said, no, not yet. I'm not showing that now. Well, with like 10 minutes to go, we thought, you know what? I think you can show it now. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the way this thing unfolded. You got to give – and the problem for Purdue was they got these two freshman guards who are good players, um, but they were freshmen. And the quickness – they're not used to seeing that kind of quickness in the Big Ten, as good a league as it is. And like, Purdue won the Big Ten by three games. It was like a dominant year for them. But those guards never saw pressure like they saw in this game, and it showed. I mean, Braden Smith seven turnovers. You know, they were just never comfortable, and they couldn't even they couldn't run their stuff. You use the word pressure, and that is just so apropos for this tournament from a player side, coach side. You you coached you know uh, in this tournament, you know it. And talk about what that is. I mean, especially if you're a favorite and you're facing one of these teams that maybe subconsciously you, you know you are overlooking them. Maybe you shouldn't be, but but you are. But then you're in a neutral floor, and then all of a sudden, you know, they may only have a, a few hundred fans there. Uh, but then again, everybody else who's coming in the arena starts to jump on the underdog. And next thing you know, it's like you're starting to feel this pressure. And we saw it with Purdue. We've seen it, you know, with a lot of these other teams that we talked about. You go back to 2018 with Maryland, Baltimore County. But talk about that from a coach's perspective, uh, Steve, about how you've got to basically either, you know, rally your guys, calm them down. I mean, talk about the psychological aspect of it. Well, I don't know. I, I, I really think that, you know, <laughs> First of all, it's the, the pressure is real. I've been there, and when you're when you're a high seed and you're playing a, a lower seed and you're supposed to win, and it's a close game, you know, three four points in the last four minutes, you feel it. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And the shots that were much easier during the regular season, all of a sudden, not so easy. And I think, you know, there's there's all kind of ways you can approach it as a coach. And Matt Painter was trying to be calm. He wasn't yelling at these guys. He wasn't doing it. That was his approach. Somebody else might have been killing him, and maybe maybe the best thing to do would be kill him. I don't know. You know what I mean? Because obviously they didn't react the right way. Mason Gillis had two wide open. They dared. They literally dared him to shoot two threes in the last four minutes, and he would not shoot it. Dare him, and he wouldn't shoot. He's one of the best three point shooters. So they felt the the heat, no question about it, and uh, they just it, 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 that pressure is real. And, uh, you know, this other team played a style that was way different than anything they ever saw this year, especially in the Big Ten, with that kind of pressure, those kind of small guards. And all of a sudden, they're going home. Mm -hmm. Steve Lapis uh, joins us. I was on the call in the East Region last weekend. Uh, Columbus will be in the uh, the studio, CBS Sports Network. So we get ready for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight coming up on Saturday and Sunday. Also, you called Michigan State defeating Marquette. Now, in name recognition, some people will say, well, that's not that big of an upset. Well, Marquette, you know, was a number two seed and they were pretty much were rolling through the Big East and they were battle tested during the course of this. And then Michigan State. I mean, you've got Tom Izzo. You know, Michigan State is always battle tested throughout the Big Ten and in the non-conference as well, too. Talk a little bit about that game and how much of this of Michigan State winning and advancing is the Tom Izzo factor. Well, it's certainly a big part of it. There's no doubt. But let me say this. I think what helps them is 
that they have this attitude from day one of the season that they'll, they, they play the toughest schedule in the country. I mean, think about the people they played, and we're talking about on top of a Big Ten schedule, the people they play in the preseason. So I think that they are ready for every game they play, which obviously makes a big difference. And let me tell you something. Shaka Smart's a tremendous coach. And Shaka Smart was picked ninth in the preseason in the Big East this year. There's only 11 teams. He's picked ninth. And he has an unbelievable season. So let, let's say that. But, you know, this, this Michigan State team, the big difference to me and why they won that game was because they were just much more physical on the defensive end than Marquette was. And they, and Marquette also had what, you know, their guys that they were relying on all year for their explosiveness and their scoring ability struggled. Tyler Kolick had a bad weekend. Both yeah. games, he was a player of the year in the Big East, player of the most outstanding player in the Big East tournament, and he just didn't have a good weekend. But I think the physicality, I think A.J. Hogarth is a really good defender, as is Tyson Walker. And then you have the stretch four and Joey Hauser, who can, you know, step out, but still, but still is a good rebounder at his position. Um, so that, that Michigan State team, much more physical than I thought they were. When you see people live, you get a different impression of them. Much more physical than I thought. Has gotten better and better defensively. Didn't play this kind of defense all year. Tom Izzo told me. They didn't play this kind of defense all year. But they are getting better and better defensively right now. And that's really what this team does. And those two guards, Tyson Walker and Hogard and, and Joey Hauser, those are three pretty good scorers. You talk about defense and guards. You're going to get that tonight with Michigan State and K-State. How do you see that one? You know, I, I think that, you know, obviously Marquise Norwell has been unbelievable for Kansas State so far. I mean, the kid had uh, nine assists in one game, 14 assists in another. He's making the three, scoring. I just think that, that, you know, Tom Izzo, from a defensive standpoint, is going to really be able to uh, do something. Now, the tough matchup is Keontae Johnson. Um, I, they, if they have Joey Hauser on him, that could be a little tough. But I, I think that tonight, Michigan State may go small for a while, take Sissoko out and put Malik Hall in and play with Malik Hall and Joey Hauser at the four and five spot because Kansas State will go with five guys that can shoot the three. So, this is going to be a pretty good chess match tonight. I think that Michigan State is going to control the tempo. Uh, I think their physicality will hurt Kansas State. But, listen, Kansas State had a great year, and they played in the best league in the country. They're certainly not going to be intimidated at all. I just think that Michigan State, that defense and their physicality just makes me feel like they're going to get it done. All right, here in Vegas tonight, uh, looking forward to both games. I want to get your your take on UConn and Arkansas. This UConn team, uh, you know, with Sonogo in the middle, he can be uh, uh, brutal, but UConn, we know that they've got the depth. Uh, they can score. And then Arkansas can also come at you in waves, and the Hogs are actually probably playing some of their best basketball of the season. I mean, there was a stretch here just a few weeks ago. We're going like, you know, is, is Arkansas going to make the tournament? Uh, but, man, they've been very, very impressive, especially with their victory against Kansas last Saturday. What do you think? UConn, Arkansas. Well, I mean, I think that's a heck of a game. I mean, you look at Arkansas, they have two guys in Debo Davis and Ricky Council that can make a lot of things happen off the dribble. And that is always a good thing to have, especially, you know, at the NCAA tournament, end of the shot clock, guys that can go get something done. They have a freshman point guard, Anthony Black, who's been a little up and down lately. But I think the big thing for you for UConn is that they have better balance. They have not only do they have Sonogo, but Donovan Klingon, the freshman seven-footer coming off the bench, averaged seven points and six rebounds. <coughs> Excuse me. 
excuse me, in 13 minutes. So from the center position, these guys are getting 25 and 14. So you start there. So they do a great job scoring in the paint. They score like 34 points a game in the paint. So they're really tough there. And then Jordan Hawkins. And, and, and the thing about him is in the NCAA tournament, he has had some bad first halves and been unbelievable in the second half, which is obviously the way you prefer it. You know, if you're going to have a bad half, have it in the first half. And he is a tremendous three-point shooter. He's had a great year this year. Uh, and, you know, and they have other guys. They got guys coming off the bench that can shoot the three. You got a guy like Andre Jackson, who's 6'6", can't shoot, but he does everything. He's a point forward. He does everything else. And this kid, Tristan Newton, who transferred in from East Carolina that's been their point guard all year, he surprised me. I saw them in the first game of the year, and I, I thought that that was going to be their Achilles heel was the point guard spot. And he's had a good year, two-to-one assist to turnover ratio, done everything they needed to do. I just think the combination of inside-outside, their ability to score, and the thing about UConn is they're also really, really good defensively. They are one of the few teams left in the tournament that is really good at both offense and defense. Correct. You know, when the brackets uh, were announced a couple Sundays ago, we looked at the West and we said, oh, wow. We're going to get UCLA Gonzaga. We're going to get this rematch of the wild final four game that we had two years ago. And here we're getting it here in Vegas tonight. And both these teams very familiar, you know, playing here. Uh, give me some thoughts uh, about the Bruins and the Zags. Well, you know, I mean, uh, the Bruins obviously are a team that's going to play slow, play great defense, kind of try to muck the game up, make it ugly, make it slow if they can. Um, they, uh, you know, missing Jalen Clark is not great. Obviously, he was the pl- defensive player of the year in the Pac-12, and this is a great defensive team. But they still got Hawkes. They still got Tiger Campbell. They still got David Singleton. They still got guys that have played in a lot of big games, and so you always wonder about that. But I think Gonzaga this year, they are functioning under the radar, and I think it's really helped them. And they have Drew Timmy, and people aren't even talking. Like you know, I mean, everybody's talking about Player of the Year, Zach Eady. You know, Drew Timmy's had a pretty good year. Doesn't really get talked about that much. Yeah, maybe he's in second or third place in the race, but doesn't get talked about. And even Gonzaga's a three seed, not getting talked about. So Julian Strother is shooting the ball really good. I think in this, they have too much firepower in this game. I really think the Zags get it done tonight. All right, then tomorrow, Alabama, San Diego State, Creighton, Princeton, Houston, Miami, Texas, Xavier. Uh, pick pick your poison there, Steve. Uh, who do you like, and what's the game you're really going to be focusing in on tomorrow? Well, you know, I'm I'm always interested in, in uh, Mountain West. I've yeah. done a lot of games out there, and, you know, I'm interested to see San Diego State. I'm happy for Brian Dutcher. I'm happy for the program. I'm happy for the Mountain West that they were able to get somebody through after losing all those games in a row in the NCAA tournament and get into the Sweet 16. It's going to be a tough one because they're playing against arguably the best team in the country, a team that is very explosive offensively, a team that also has the size and the length that you need to play against San Diego State. But you know what? I don't put anything past it. When you're a great defensive team like San Diego State and you're you're used to playing a slow tempo and you don't turn the ball over a lot, a lot of the good things can happen. I just think this is going to be a tough one. I think it's great they got to the Sweet 16. I think Alabama's a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. Houston, Miami, Texas, Xavier, uh, Creighton, Princeton. Uh, all very, very intriguing matchups there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, Houston, Houston is obviously a great defensive team. I think it's going to be uh, um, the, Miami. It, it's a good matchup for Houston because I think even though Miami rebounded the ball very well last week, and I think Houston 
is one of the best rebounding teams in the country. Obviously, they're great defensively, and they got three great. They got three really good guards. Mm-hmm. And with Sasser being obviously healthy or mostly healthy with 22 points uh, last week, I think that uh, I think they have enough. I think gonna, I think Miami's going to have their hands full with them on the glass, especially. And uh, then you got a guy like Jarris Walker for Houston, who's another guy who's a budding superstar, who's a freshman. So I think Houston just has a little bit too much. Yeah, Jamal Shedd, uh, fantastic as well, too. Uh, who are we going to see in Houston? Give me those four teams, Steve. Well, I think Gonzaga, Houston. Um, he's pondering. I'm, I'm, trying, to get he's, my, I'm trying to get my region straight. No, is, right. you, have, you have Michigan State, Kansas State. FAU in Tennessee. I think Michigan State. I think Michigan State gets through, and I think uh, where, where am I missing one? Uh, so well, Alabama, Alabama, San Diego State, Alabama. Uh, yeah, okay. And then I think Alabama Princeton. gets through. Those are my four. Okay, sounds good. Hey, before we let you go, a uh, real quick thought. Uh, Rick Pitino, a guy that you know uh, pretty well. Uh, leaves Iona, takes the job at St. John's, comes out and makes some bold statements saying, Hey, man, you know, we're going to get this done. Ed Cooley leaves Providence, goes over to Georgetown. You're a big East guy. You get it. And then Ed Cooley tries to match uh, Rick Patino's press conference by saying, Oh, listen, no, we're, we're going to be cutting down the nets in the very near future. Give me some quick thoughts about, about those two guys. Well, you know, I think that hiring Rick Patino at St. John's was a no-brainer. I mean, he is the one guy that is a guarantee. You know he's going to win. It's just a matter of how much. And, you know, whether he's you know able to get to a Final Four, whether he's able to get to a national championship, if those, if those are your goals, and no doubt those are St. John's goals, they got the right guy. No doubt about it. I mean, he was the one guy who's out there that you know your program is going to be a contender. Then the Georgetown thing was a little different, only that, you know, Ed Cooley had such an unbelievable thing going to Providence. I think he wanted a change in scenery. I think he's a tremendous hire for Georgetown. I mean, let's face it. They've, they've struggled. They hired a guy who's a proven winner who won at a tough place. Providence is not an easy place to win at because you look at the history of Providence, and most of the coaches they've had don't stay a long time because they feel like it's hard to keep it going. I think Ed was – had to go to the transfer pool every year. I think at Georgetown, he's got a better chance probably to recruit some really good high school players and go to the transfer portal and not have to have a new team every year. Like he's had really every, you know, last few years, they've had tremendous success, but every year he's had a new team and that gets old after a while. So I think both obviously are great hires. All right, Steve, we'll let you get back to work. Uh, looking forward to see you on the weekend and uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk with you uh, uh, down in Houston as we get ready for the final four next week. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate it. There is, there is Steve Lapis, uh, one of the best former coach at Villanova. He knows a thing or two about March Madness from the coaching side and does a fantastic job on CBS on the call last weekend for those upsets with uh, Marquette and Purdue going down in the Columbus region.